Hello and welcome to a spooky episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us for this Halloween week episode. We're talking about Castlevania 4. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. And we're really excited to be joined once again by good friend of the show, Travis Anderson. What up? Travis, thanks so much for being here. Oh, that's my cue to talk. Sorry, my music just started playing again. Hey, guys, uh, it is so great to be back. Um, you know, after that Favorites with Friends, I did not think that I would be back. And I felt like, you know, I have nothing left to live for. My life's in the toilet. Out of the blue, one day, bam, I get rear-ended. I turn around. Who's in the car behind me but Carl Brueggemann? I say, Carl, how are we going to make this right? How are you going to yeah. make this right for me? And here we are. Another podcast. That is a true story, <laughs> except that 100% of it is false. But other than that, it's a true story. <laughs> well, I got whiplash somehow. So I just want to say before <laughs> we get going today that uh, to any of you who aren't familiar, uh, Travis is an exceptional musician, pianist, composer, photographer. He's a jack of all trades, a, a renaissance man, if you will. But one of the many things that he is is a fan of both the game and the soundtrack to Super Castlevania 4. And Carl and I have both mentioned, you know, because we both love music to the Castlevania games. It's among our favorite of the classic, you know, Titan VGM franchises. Um, but this is a game in particular this that is a blind neither spot of us, us have... Yeah, we don't have much nostalgia for it. And the soundtrack is... Um, I think it's fair to say that it's just incredibly different from the tone and the the direction of the previous titles. Intentionally so. And, and I think that a lot of the fans, and correct me if I'm wrong, Travis, a lot of the fans of this soundtrack like it for that reason. They like how weird it gets and how it's kind of like maybe like a grown-up version of, of the horror genre, whereas the NES titles, they were awesome, but maybe it was a little more cartoony. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to speak to what the fan community thinks. I'm not really plugged into that, but I have enough <laughs> nostalgia for the three of us. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to get listening to this thing. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I know a lot of you guys are really excited. This is a long overdue topic, and it's perfectly time for Halloween, so we're glad that we're finally going to be able to do this. I've played a little bit of this game on ZSNES. Uh, like I said, I don't have any nostalgia for the music or the game, so it'll be interesting for us to kind of come in uh, just fresh talking about the music and Travis to talk maybe a little bit about the experience as well. So a bit of context for this game, uh, Super Castlevania 4, the number four is a bit of a misnomer because in terms of like the story and the chronology, this is really, um, you could consider it the first reboot in the Castlevania series. Once again, you play as Simon Belmont and it's sort of a retelling of the story to the original Castlevania, which, you know, we've talked about before. The original Castlevania games play so much on tropes and old horror cliches, and mm -hmm. all the enemies and characters are sort of stand-ins for, you know, Dracula, Van Helsing, that kind of, the Bram Stoker right. characters. And there's some mixing and matching of that along with, you know, the Konami-created things. But Castlevania Four, if I'm... Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Travis, but this is the first title that I think really was able to have the presentation of story be one of the central aspects of the game in addition to just the gameplay. I don't think that there was much of a story. I mean, it was whip and move to the right. Like, that was kind of <laughs> the entire game. Um, I mean, from from my memory, this falls right in line with the previous games. It just got a an upgrade, a new coat of paint. Um, it looks fantastic. It sounds fantastic. But it's you're right. It is entirely different 
from what came before in terms of the aesthetic and the feel. And we are going to hear that with the music. So the plan was Demon Castle Dracula, a perfect plan to set up the ominous mood that we're going to get today. We hope everyone is in the Halloween spirit. And if you're not by the end of this episode, I'm sure you will be. Well, let's keep going. Uh, We're going to move on to the first track we're going to discuss today. It is Dracula's theme and the composers of this soundtrack. I believe neither of these people worked on the series before this game. We have Masanori Adachi and Taro Kudo. Let's take a listen to Dracula's theme. You guys are listening to Dracula's theme, uh, and I wanted to give a little disclaimer that we're not playing every single track from the score, but we're playing most of it and probably most of the melodic uh, pieces of music. Um, let's talk a little bit about the beginning of this experience. So, Travis, we're not playing, I think, every single opening track, um, but talk a little bit about what this game feels like when you boot it up and maybe what your memories are of some of the first feelings you got from this music. Oh, no, I mean, I didn't play this game. Did you guys think that I had experience with this? <laughs> um, you know, it, it occurred right in that sweet spot of my childhood, I think. I just found this out today. This was released on Halloween 1991 in Japan, which makes oh, this wow. game 30 flipping years old, uh, which makes That's me crazy. 24. Um, yeah, anyway, but, um, you know, you it, do have it Benjamin really... Button's disease. <laughs> um, it really occurred in this little portion of my life where my imagination ran rampant whether it was 8-bit 16-bit and that leap from 8 to 16 just gave me all the more to chew on and this opening is fog crawling in and you know it's just so ambient and you can just feel the creepiness but the also like the uplift as those strings come in so you feel like you can kill any number of monsters but you also feel kind of creeped out at the same time so nice context there travis will talk about your uh impressions on this track it's a really interesting kind of blend of sounds and styles. Uh, one of the advantages of the Super Nintendo hardware is that you can conjure up more explicit timbres and sounds. And I think these composers did an excellent job of really nailing the the sort of sonic palette 
that a lot of horror films of that particular day, you know, in the 80s and 90s were using, um, whether it's kind of extended technique, orchestral things, aleatoric type, you know, detuning string passages. Yeah. Uh, and then, but what's interesting, so you have the more textural based horror sounding stuff, which is, is really cool and impressive to sell that on the Super Nintendo. Yet this is a piece that has kind of an accessible little arpeggiated line and it's played in a quasi organ organ. sample yeah yeah and so it's it but it's it it does that great thing of it's like halfway between evoking you know church connotations and this kind of biblical evil but also the sort of like progressive rock jazz fusion style that you're probably going to get throughout the game and and i would say the two things uh technically that are so important for this soundtrack and and it's possible on the Super Nintendo that wasn't possible on the NES is subtle panning and subtle dynamics uh, that really comes into play in the soundtrack and and those two elements you know it just wouldn't have been possible before and so these composers did a really good job of utilizing that yeah and i do think they use dynamics to a really really cool extent in this game and actually that organ sort of ostinato or whatever that is going on it reminds me a lot of jesper kid and what he did in the assassin's creed series Ooh, like there's a track called yeah. home in florence and it's got that same sort of pulsing like you know so i think this was like kind of ahead of its time in video game land i mean for 91 this is pretty cool and eclectic score it's pretty crazy. Definitely. I actually did not know it was that early. I was assuming this was like a 93 or 94. I think pretty uh, much launched. So that's title. cool. That's amazing. Let's move on to the track that I'm definitely the most familiar with out of the score. This is Theme of Simon, again, from Super Castlevania 4. You guys are listening to the theme of Simon. This track is so cool. My favorite thing about this track is the bass, and so I'm excited to hopefully talk about that for a little bit. Uh, But yeah, wow, we are definitely in a new generation of Castlevania music. This doesn't remind me 
that much of the previous generation, and so it had to have been a really exciting time to play this game. Uh, let's start with a little bit of context of this piece of music and also your impressions. So we'll start over with Travis. Yeah, I mean, you walk into this first level, um, and it's sort of, I can't even remember, right at the beginning, I think there's no score, just something really low and ambient. Mm. And then you get into this courtyard and these gates shoot up and it's this, you know, all this crunchy sound effects. And then this track plays. Um, and it does set the scene for the game. And I think it's par for the course as far as the sound of this game. I will say, I got to throw some shade. I don't really like this track. <laughs> oh, um, wow. That's interesting. Well, I just feel like it's kind of meandering. And, you know, I remember you guys talking about uh, a lot of the older Castlevania stuff with Tim Turry, which mm -hmm. I am so honored to be in his place right now. That is so cool. Um, but <laughs> you guys said that, you know, the, the classic Castlevania themes always had a great melodic entrance, like something really memorable, like da-da-dun-da, mm -hmm. or, you know, da 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 and this one to me I is mean, just kind of like... I mean, this doesn't have that. No. It and definitely it does, doesn't have that. The whole piece seems to just sort of coast in a sort of vague... Like, I feel like it doesn't assert it's itself. A, it's a wandering piece of music for sure. Right. I think for, for me, when I a long time ago when I listened to the score, this was the track that was the most... Like, the closest to like a catchy single out of the score. There wasn't really anything else that, that hit me as much as this. Right. Um, so I'm excited today to, to go into it and, and, and well, try to think, think of it in a different way because it doesn't have to be catchy to be good music. Sure. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about Theme of Simon is, uh, it's interesting to hear you say that, Travis, because I think part of... Everything I what say is interesting. <laughs> I, I never got into about Super Castlevania Four is I assumed, you know, Theme of Simon, this is kind of like the this is the hit single if it has one, and it's right. kind of a weak track. Mm. You know, I like the the energy that builds, I like the ostinato, and I particularly like like the later sections that get a little more kind of gamey and Japanese fusion y. The colors are more interesting, but particularly when the like top of the head melody, the bang bang bang. Beep, beep, beep. To there's me, something it's just a little complete, dinky about it there's yeah. some it's the complete wrong emotion it's like you're building up to something cool and it just sounds kind of hokey the last thing i'll say about this track uh, which could have been a slight misfire is that to me it's not really indicative of the genre that this score is because you hear i hear this track and i'm like okay so they are going to still go for this kind of 80s pop rock fusiony sound while also being scary but really that's not what the score is about i mean the score is about just ominous atmosphere. Um, and so I think that it's in some ways maybe sending the wrong message for the beginning of the game. Yeah, and I don't want to give the impression that I don't like this music. I mean, this is incredibly nostalgic to me. I have such great memories of this tune and mm -hmm. whipping heads off, but the the problem for me is it just doesn't assert in any one direction. It kind of says mm. it's heroic. It kind of says it's creepy, but it doesn't really fall into either category or lift me up to feel empowered. It's just sort of there. Yeah, especially if you compare it to, you know, the opening music from the original Castlevania or any of the games. It's like you, Castlevania 3 has that incredible opening stage music that's so confident and assertive in that way that you're saying. And this makes it, for me, it always felt like I don't know that I'm in good hands mm. because I the, the part writing here doesn't sound experimental in a thoughtful way. It just sounds sort of like awkward and amateurish well i'm excited to to move on to music that is a little more an embodiment of this score the creepy stuff the ambient stuff uh it's 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 music that i haven't really given the time of day i, I will admit so i'm excited to really focus on it today let's move on the next track we're going to be discussing is forest of monsters here we go 
You guys listening to Forest of Monsters, I'm enjoying this track. I gotta say, I'm enjoying it more than I thought I would. I wasn't expecting uh, that funky bass line uh, to come in. I was really feeling that. It's, it's nice background music. I think it does a really good job of setting up a specific emotion and a level of atmosphere, again, that was definitely not possible or not even tried on the NES. Uh, let's start with Will. Let's talk about your impressions of this uh, you know, from a musical perspective. What are you thinking here? Yeah, so I think the the thing that's always been difficult for me to connect with this music is just, again, the fact that uh, this is sort of a remake of sorts. So this is kind of reestablishing and reasserting what Castlevania is and can be. Mm-hmm. And the music is just not, it's not, it doesn't even seem like it's attempting to go for what was strong about the music before, which was excellent melodies, kind of catchy pop melodies. It's definitely that not attempting that. Classical, Barokian bend. And this is a completely different style. It feels creepy, and it feels like it also has nods to classical, gothic, uh, stylistic colors, but... The, the sort of, you know, if you, if Castlevania music is made up of old one old part and one new part, mm-hmm. maybe the old part is a commonality, that they both evoke classical music in some way. But this evokes like more of like a progressive jazz fusion for its more contemporary style. And as far as what it's doing technically, I think it's really solid. Yeah, it I agree. Just, Especially for I always have a hard time crazy. of like, oh... This just is so different from what I expected from Castlevania, but I think it's inevitable. It it, it is hard to adjust uh, in some ways to the score. Travis, talk a little bit about your thoughts on this piece. Well, you know, if I have to kind of sum up what I think the difference is listening to this piece is that it, Mm -hmm. it sort of lost some of the fun and it's taking itself really seriously. I I think the composers had more of a mandate. I mean, especially with the new hardware, you know, they were trying to push everything further. And I think the push in right. this direction was less fun and more legit music. And I think it kind of went off the rails that way. Like, I think the camp is what attracts people to Castlevania music. And I think in this instance, yeah. it is a little more ambient. I mean, and like Will said, it's like, technically it's great. It sounds really cool. What I loved about this piece though, was like, I always got this feeling of, especially that opening. It's so sort of floaty. And I like, I just felt cold and kind of lonely yes and like maybe that was because i was in junior high and i didn't have any friends and it was (laughs) the winter but like just playing the game that was also my experience listening to that music like it felt very isolated and i think you were in the right mindset (laughs) yeah exactly i was in that mindset for years don't worry (laughs) that's really cool yeah no and i'm excited today uh for us to be able to be honest about our feelings on this music i don't think we're gonna pull any punches when we don't like something but i gotta say i enjoyed that track a lot more than i was expecting Let's move on to the next piece. Anything you want to say to set up the cave, Travis, or should we just get to it? I just thought, you know, it's weird because there's nothing particularly like musically fascinating about this one. But to me, it was just always really effective at going into this creepy dark cave with dripping acid and clay mud monsters or whatever they were. (laughs) Um, It just set a very different tone and mood and whether or not it's in the lineage of Castlevania, it was a very particular mood that it set. Awesome. We'll keep that in mind. This is The Cave. Mm-hmm. 
you guys are listening to The Cave, I'm really excited to talk about this. Like, seriously, because it's not often on the podcast where we can have discussions like this. We're, we're, we're able to talk about things we might not like as well as things we like. And it's so cool because Travis has the nostalgia and has so much love uh, for this game. Uh, so this will be fun. This track started off really strong for me. I love the asinata. It was a good instrument choice. The delay, the flute. I love the really wide intervals at the beginning of that flute melody. It was really working for me. It really lost its momentum, unfortunately, for me. It got to a point where there was just some really awkward notes <laughs> and it was just like, wait, what's what's going on here? And then, it, it sadly, the loop, like it... the end of the loop is very, very lazy. So I found that interesting because it started off i was like okay i'm i'm on board for this and unfortunately it lost me a little bit well it definitely bit off more than it could chew because i i get the sense that it it was a piece that it was very minimalist at the beginning this yeah. repeated ostinato and then it got just too busy. a handful of instruments and they're very basic kind of default snes sounds that flute that harp it's really basic and then i like the idea that it opens up into a more dissonant chromatic like 20th century harmony passage mm. but it just wasn't executed with a lot of knowledge of that particular craft and so there are these certain moments where it it doesn't sound dissonant you know like schoenberg or stravinsky it right. ends up sounding dissonant like a 12 year old who's learning oh shots you know, fired uh, sibelius i hope this episode isn't another, isn't another breath of the wild controversial episode no hey let me jump in and just say i honest to god love this music i love it i i have never actually approached it from a musically critical point of view and that mm-hmm. does not in any way displace that this will always be in my heart <laughs> yeah. as one of my favorite scores. Not because it's musically my favorite, but it, because I grew up with it and I love it. And that can happen at the same time. I really like that you bring that up. I mean, we are able to be critical of something while still appreciating it. And Yeah, it's it. like All eating right. American cheese. You know, it, it's not good for you. It doesn't <laughs> taste that good. But, you know, <laughs> oh, can it, I? It's your childhood. Yeah. Can I say one more thing about this track? <laughs> yeah, um, go for it. I, I think this is where the, the soundtrack really starts to reveal, I think, maybe an asset, but also, I think, a distinctive um, not asset. Uh, it, it really <laughs> is so kind of like bifurcated. Like it starts, like you said, it starts strong. And then mm-hmm. really quickly, it pivots from that. And then really quickly, it pivots from that. And it all sort of sounds yes. the same, but it's like they're trying different things every 12 measures or something, or even four right. measures. And I think that really continues in the score. And you just hear it where it's like, wait, this mood was cool. Why did you change it? But it's also well, kind yeah, of interesting. And, yeah. I want to try to be open-minded because I, I do think one of the things that's so cool about horror as a genre, and I think this is true in games and film, um, is that... Oftentimes the the job of what the composer is doing is so it's so like explicitly stated that it's like you're trying to make people scared and unsettled and uncertain and particularly in games like most of the time what you're trying to do is empower the player or tell them where to go or help to flesh out the world to feel more Mm three-dimensional but in a a game like this maybe the music is meant to break some of the rules because that's that's the way that you make someone feel unsettled and so i do think that when when i'm making these criticisms i'm not saying that it's like i get that they weren't attempting to make some really simple melodic piece 
it just to me it's like that this is where it's difficult because you're going to start to split hairs when once mm. you go into the experimental side of things mm-hmm. i think you quickly start to realize how subjective these things are it's true and so much of it is um based on context and so maybe we can continue our discussions today trying to see things uh from both both sides in a way uh because yeah i do think some of that surprise and some of that even head scratching might actually work really well while you're playing the game let's move on to a track that i love i'm familiar with this track i've heard it many times i think it's very proggy very cool it's the submerged city You guys listening to The Submerged City, it's so cool. This is a track that is, yes, very weird. It's taking just as many chances as we were discussing every few seconds. It's trying something. But it feels like more confident and definitely more successful for me personally. I really like this track. I think I've heard some interesting covers of it. This is kind of like good fodder for like a, a jazz or a jazz fusion VGM band to, to cover this one. I'm on board for this. Well, I would also say it's probably the most consistent of the tracks is that, you know, it sets a mood at the beginning and it sticks with it. And I think maybe that's the that is true. The confidence of its convictions, like it it actually feels like it believes in itself enough to try weird things, but also stay in one place. Yeah, that's true. It definitely has surprise and like especially the solo, like some of the notes you're definitely not expecting. But yeah, it doesn't make a 360 every eight seconds. No, and I love that this is a jazz flute in a Castlevania game. Like what a it's so cool. <laughs> what a wonky choice. Yeah, and and, and yeah, talk about the samples. Creative. You know, we we were both uh, talking about when this track was playing that the the choice for an acoustic upright bass was such a cool one. Makes it feel jazzier. I really like the choice of that kind of quasi-ethnic hand drum to me it feels like uh, a frame drum is what that's trying to be and to me i'm really just on board for that and it kind of gets my imagination going what do you think about this track will um i think that what this track has clarified for me is i think what i don't care for about the soundtrack most is the arranging 
is oftentimes, like a track like this, I think all the musical material, like the motifs, the composition of the ostinato, the chord progression, the bass line, it's all really well composed. And I think mm. it actually works very well. The problem to me is the way it's arranged, that sort of piano keyboard thing just sounds so muddy based on the sample and the register that it's in. And it sort of is in the same register as the bass. So it's kind of hard to discern again that I could think that potentially would sound be cool live but yeah i would sound way better with actual instruments and then that organ sound because it has multiple octaves within it it also makes the texture super muddy because sometimes it conflicts in the same register as point. the harmonic stuff so it just particularly when you have a complex and it's like a, a sort of cool line like that i think it would be more effective if you know, is emphasizing more the upper overtones and mm. not that lower. Right. Well, can we just, also it ends give, up feeling kind of muddy. Yeah, let's also give these composers a bit of a pass because this is first generation game on this system, and all of these yeah. sounds and the ability to have multiple tracks, you know, was really a newer thing. And I, I mean, yeah, it's clunky at times, but I think the overall sound is really unique. I mean. I, I don't know another game that actually sounds like this aesthetically. No, it's a good point. It, very creative, a lot of ideas, and uh, I think for the most part, it works. And when it comes to setting up the right vibe and atmosphere, it totally works. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of this. This actually might be my favorite on the score. I know it's super weird and out there, but I'm here for it. Let's move on. The next track we're going to play is Rotating Room. You guys listening to Rotating Room, this is a cool one, and it definitely has that quality that we were talking about before, where it's constantly changing, and it's almost like these composers like, alright, I'm going to write a few bars, and then, ah, never mind, I'm going to try something else, but they just keep it going. Um, but I really like it. It's odd because it reminds me of Jurassic Park a little bit for the Genesis, not not the movie, uh, the music <laughs> of the Genesis Jurassic Park game for some weird reason. Um, but yeah, Will, let's start with you. You were actually kind of feeling this one maybe a little more than you were expecting. Well, I really like the experimental sections within this once it gets a little more ambient atmospheric yeah, that was cool. and uh, to me sometimes um letting a piece breathe and ha allowing room for space and silence and 
taking a breath can be so effective, especially when you're trying to create a mood and atmosphere. I think this piece does that really well. It also introduces some really cool colors and timbres that evoke kind of like, to me, I, I was just thinking of like a witch and I, it gave me all this mm. sort of medieval yeah, imagery. When, when I also music, really like the form. When the music of Castlevania Four is is very experimental and ambient and almost more about just giving you really weird sounds that are, you know, panned all over the place and... Um, almost more like sound effects in a way like you're in some sort of creepy yeah rotating room i feel like that's when maybe it's at its best in my opinion yeah but sometimes it feels like it's a weird middle ground where it's like okay well what kind of score is this trying to be and you know to, to the composer's credit i don't think they ever really landed on one answer and maybe that's okay and some of that's just the constraints of the era i mean there's so much pressure i think who knows what they were instructed to do for each stage, right? It's like, well, what also, if the instructions like, were really think hard? Of, this is the era when every single piece of video game music is like has a melody or is some sort of like has a groove or it's like there there weren't a lot of games that had these kind of experimental atmospheric scores that would come later. Um, but so the fact that it's even somewhat pushing into that direction and sometimes really going quite far is definitely and quite long, um, right? Something Some to of celebrate. these yeah. forms are very long for 1991. Yeah, I was going to say that a lot of these, you know, I know you guys play this about a minute or so, but a lot of these extend well past that. Um, and it's kind of cool to see how the piece develops and that like some of these instruments yeah. are taking weird solos. I mean, and you know what we're talking about with these hard pivots and, you know, any given direction, a lot of the time, I think it is really cool and in game, you know, if we think of it as more of a soundtrack, like you are moving through different sections. And of course, this is before you could time that out accurately with the music. But, you mm-hmm. know, if you're walking from one room to the next and the music dramatically changes, like that's kind of a cool feature and not a bug. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we just played Rotating Room and I, I feel like I'm going to skip this track because it's Spinning Tower, but I won't skip it. Okay. <laughs> spinning Tower. It's <laughs> the same thing, basically, from Castlevania 4. You guys listening to Spinning Tower, and I'm on board for this one too. I gotta say, I didn't realize how uh, funky bass lines there were across this whole score. I mean, I've listened to it before, it's just been a long time. The bass writing is really strong on the score. It's maybe my favorite element that I've that I've heard so far. All right, well, let's start off with you. Uh, do you first of all, do you remember this track, or has it been a long time kind of coming in fresh for you? 
Yeah, I th this is definitely one of the ones that I do have a memory of. I feel like this, Submerged City, Theme of Simon, Dracula's Theme, these are ones yep. that um, are kind of the ones that stand out that I remember. What mm -hmm. I love about this track is kind of just the rhythmic energy. I love the polyrhythms that happen. And I love particularly, really you know, we've talked a lot about how um, these pieces can kind of stop and start on a dime. But this is one that actually feels like it's pulling it off with some grace. It's a higher energy piece. And mm -hmm. so, for instance, when you get to that, like, harmonized organ passage that's very, like, Bachian, and it's meant to feel that classical moment, um, and everything cuts out, and you that little kind of episode there is so effective mm -hmm. because it's not happening throughout the entire track. It's just this one little moment, and it's it's a great um, you know speaking of arranging, that's a great arranging technique because you have this sort of ensemble, and they're kind of all playing this sort of two D sound. Everybody's playing, and then you take everything out but this one element, and it just causes the listener to sort of lean in and be like oh what's going on then when you bring everything back it feels fresh and new and you can have that sort of dynamicism um so yeah yeah I travis really like what are your thoughts on this piece when it comes to like maybe what you used to think about it and what do you think about it now uh, I'm, I'm kind of stuck in the same place of having to remember that i do love this but while i'm listening <laughs> it's a very bizarre piece um and yeah. with my musical hat on um it's really crazy like it's funky and complicated mm -hmm. and there's a lot going on um almost overwhelmingly so and maybe that's because the spinning tower is uh from my memory like kind of nausea inducing <laughs> like maybe sure. the, the musical mandate was to make people puke while they played this but um it, it is a lot <laughs> Mission accomplished. And yeah i mean i think this track works i don't think it's bad in any way i think it's interesting but it still falls into that sort of even with the sheer amount of notes it still falls into the sort of ambient category for yeah. me like nothing yeah, like nothing stands funk. out <laughs> except what will said that little uh organ bit like that's super cool and then you want to see what the rest is um but it's kind of just a wash of sound i mean in the best way I yeah think. and and we'll talk about like our overall feelings at the end of the episode but so far what i would like to say is that I love that these composers are fans of prog music and we're hearing a little bit of that. I would have loved if they went further into that because this track is like, oh, it's a little proggy. It's a, it's funky, but it, it doesn't really go too far into any one of those directions. And for me, I would like to hear them go further, but maybe that's well, the whole point of what they're trying yeah, to do. Right. <laughs> I also think when you compare, and one of the reasons why I feel okay being somewhat hard on this score is because you you're know, hard it, the things that but the <laughs> things that i would celebrate you know it is taking chances and it is doing experimental things it is an early title so it's trying to use these sounds in a way that's unique for video games um but also to be fair it's like you know, Super Mario World was a launch title and I don't have any criticisms of any of those arrangements. It's not even, even if the compositions weren't as good as they are. Um, as some of that I do think has to do with, you know, early games made by Nintendo. They probably had a lot more time, involvement, and input into the sounds themselves. Whereas third-party developers, it probably was difficult um, for them to figure out how to use these samples right. and how to write for the Super Nintendo. Well, also this style of music, like progressive, funky ambience, like that wasn't really a style that was ever 
attempted or possible before. So really, they were breaking some new ground here and well, trying yeah. a lot of things out. And I think that maybe that's where the score kind of lands is it's not pushing in any one direction. And it, you sort of just get this melange of whatever, <laughs> which gives the score yeah. a really unique place in the Castlevania history. Absolutely. Well, let's play some boss music. This is Boss 1 from Super Castlevania 4. Here we go. really excited to talk about this guys this is boss one and in my humble opinion this track is all about surprise and fear and being as weird and out there as possible in this might be a little controversial but i don't really even think it matters what this piece does musically as long as it does a million different things in ways that you're not expecting that's kind of what it's about like I don't think it's about analyzing the note choices and, oh, this melody goes here and, oh, what a cool change. It's just like this track is about being really weird, really creepy, and it definitely nails that. You know, it actually reminds me a little bit of some of the like Resident Evil 2 music when it starts sure. to get that really rhythmically challenging like what is happening like i honestly have no idea what's happening in this track right i could it's probably really listen hard to, to follow. it <laughs> 10 times and i wouldn't have any idea but that's okay yeah i think that um this is also one that is really successful with the experimenting that it's doing Absolutely. part of it is like the just the function of being a a boss track it, it's supposed to it eludes have you a very visceral <laughs> reaction um, but I also think that, you know, the harmonies themselves, they're the, to me, they're the like appealing or beautiful kind of dissonant. Mm -hmm. They don't sound awkward and amateur. They sound intentionally composed. And, as, and that goes for all the little rhythmic elements. Um, th this is a piece of music that this is not simple to write. Whether you like it or not, this is not the kind of thing that you can just like do quickly. It's not the obvious choice. And yeah. so that's why I think, you know, music like this, it, it does sort of force you to um, stand back and be like, ooh, I do think there's so much intention behind a lot of these decisions. And, you know, whether all yeah. of them are, are pulled off successfully, you know, that's another discussion. But, I mean, I think it's enough just to celebrate the fact that they're pushing the boundaries and being this experimental. And I think this track really succeeds at being super effective in a way that some of the other experimental ones maybe don't as much. Well, I think part of that is because it's 10 out of 10 weirdness and energy. I mean, it's <laughs> so incredibly busy and weird. And I guess the experience that I had that I will say is that because there's so many things going on, if you were to swap out any one of them and change it slightly, I honestly don't know if it would matter. That's my perspective. Yeah. I mean, for my money, which let's face it, is substantial. Um, <laughs> I think that the Castlevania 3 boss theme 
can never, 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 never be exceeded. That is just the greatest boss theme yeah. of all time. And this has a similar sort of ostinato running. I don't get the like the super creepy vibe from this. It's kind of just like scary, but I don't know. I, to me, it doesn't. It's weird. It doesn't set the mood as well as that. It's it's weird. And, you know, when you hear the sounds of the bosses getting hit, like, it really does work. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't mean to be negative on this one. Like, I really love it. I want to take I'm a look so at the samples because if I'm not mistaken, there's one point in this track where they switch to an octave string sample. I want to look into that and make sure that's the case. But if if so, that's really smart because every once in a while, SNES uh, sound designers would do that where the sample itself is is two different octaves. And so it's a way of getting even more sound and channels <laughs> mm-hmm. into a piece uh all right well right and sometimes those samples they weren't samples of actual you know string orchestra recordings most of the times no <laughs> samples of like a synth a synth string yeah. patch where you're able to control you know the resonance and make something sound like it's multiple octaves i also think that this kind of harks to what yuzo Koshiro was doing in act razor like this was that era where you fired up the super nintendo and it was like, holy crap, this sounds like an orchestra. You know, when you get those timpani yeah. hits, that is so far removed from the sound of the NES. And as a kid, like a dumb little kid, that sounded like an orchestra to me. And it was so cool to hear those sounds coming out of your, your little Super Nintendo. It's still cool, man. All right, let's mm-hmm. move on to the next track we're going to play. It is Entrance Hall. guys are listening to entrance hall a really well done piece of music doesn't sound like anything else that we've heard so far on the score i think they really did a wonderful job with the composition and the implementation uh let's start off with you will what are your thoughts on entrance hall i really love this one this is maybe my favorite of the day um there's a lot of things that i like about this it's more Um, straight forward Yeah, we mentioned the sort of classical pastiche element as being a a real integral part of the sound of Castlevania. And I think that would be kind of obvious to any composer, even if they hadn't heard any of the previous game's music. Uh, It's a pretty safe bet that, you know, you're doing this kind of medieval story about a vampire hunter and there's biblical elements. It's a pretty natural idea to want to evoke classical elements and particularly you know ornamental and uh contrapuntal music um and i think that you know this this really sells on the idea of being a piece of music for the organ it's written in that tradition it's not a hundred percent a pastiche like it it wasn't it wasn't composed in you know like a music history composition class or something but it very much captures the spirit of that kind of music and really having the sound of the organ sounds and timbres 
Yeah, that's such a cool thing, especially like kind of like you were saying, Travis, it's um, for the time, you know, I think this sells the kind of gothic nature of a sort of beautiful organ prelude in a way that, you know, just the 8-bit chiptune style of the previous Castlevanias couldn't. Then again, I feel like the music of those games goes for this kind of harmonic palette Mm -hmm. a lot more regularly. And Mm -hmm. so it is nice to get some of this. So would you say, Travis, that the the kind of the gothic realism of this track how did this work for for you for the for the gothic travis oh <laughs> i was for the record <laughs> i was not a goth in elementary school <laughs> um no it's this exact same experience you know as i was saying about the timpani it's like my little brain didn't need a lot to to yeah make the leap to a real pipe organ you know if it sounds somewhat right. like it i could make the leap and I think this one is just really special for that reason. Um, and you know, you go into Dracula's castle. Uh, it's very regal. It's very formal. And the music matches, which is fantastic. And I think this one is so successful maybe for you, Will, and, and for me as well, because it's like when the score stops driving drunk and going in everyone else's lane, like when it stays <laughs> in one lane, it really yeah. kicks butt. And I mean, these composers are obviously great. It just feels like they were being pulled in so many different directions. Of It's got to be funky. It's got to be scary. It's got to be classical. And it seems like when they really hone in on one sound, yeah, it really clicks. Let's move on to another track that to me feels very classic. It's one that I am very familiar with and I know very well. It's Chandeliers. Here we go. You guys mm-hmm. listening to Chandeliers. And Will, I have a feeling you're going to really like this one too because to me, it's 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 maybe the same composer. It's a lot of the same energy from Entrance Hall. It's a little bit more in its lane. It's very gothic, very classical. It's scary. Uh, it's, it's really well done music. I love the ornamentations. I love the instrument choice. Again, the fact that we get to have these instruments that very are very clear what they're trying to evoke, I think it goes a long way. This is a well, great I think track. the other thing is, it, it, I feel very similarly to what I said about Entrance Hall, which is that it, it's, it's pastiche, but it's not so, and this is a good thing, I think, it's not so close to it that it's just like a pure imitation of an existing style. Mm-hmm. It still has a little bit of contemporary, you know, score flavor to it, which I think is totally perfect. 
But the other thing that I love about this, for how much it's nailing this classical sound with the progressions, this sort of string of secondary dominance, all the chromatic descending lines, and just kind of the energy, it has the feeling of, you know, a harpsichord piece or an old piano piece because you have the repeated articulations. Yeah. Yump, bump, 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 bump. Because pianos and clavichords and harpsichords from back in the uh, 17th century, they didn't have nearly as much sustain as they do now. So that's why so much classical music, they're always re-articulating the chord. And so I think when you hear that sound here, it does evoke older music. But what I think is so cool is that this just, this never gets to the point of feeling cliche. Mm-hmm. And it's so dynamic and interesting. And what's weird is it, it's a lot more straightforward than some of the really crazy tracks. But to me, it just works better because it's just more cohesive and coherent. Travis, would you ever consider doing a piano cover of this? No. yeah it's cool man i would love it uh i think the you know what i love so much about this is the same from the previous track is that you're i mean you're literally riding on these chandeliers and jumping between them which is the world's most oversized chandelier but um the that sort of regal formality it lends itself so perfectly to that you know and i think where castlevania really succeeds is when they tap into that classical feeling in a way that really speaks to I think the essence of Dracula, which is this very stately, romantic, hundreds of years old kind of figure. And, you know, it doesn't like the rock part is like to get you energized to kill things. But if you're actually speaking about Dracula, who you don't see in these games till the very, very end, Mm -hmm. that music gives you the connotation and the feeling of being in this ancient castle and, and riding around on a, you know, a chandelier. It's so ridiculous, but like it really sells the story. The gravitas. Yes, absolutely. All right, let's move on to the next piece we're going to play. It is Pillared Corridor. guys are listening to pillar corridor i gotta say travis these later tracks the past like three tracks basically that we've heard are kind of on another level i don't know what was going on in this part of the game or if this is maybe one of the two composers (laughs) a different composer or whatever but this is really outstanding i kind of wish that the whole score was on this level which i don't think it is to be honest but this is great it's really cool yeah I, i love this piece I really love this groove. I mean, yeah, I, I love everything about this. The ostinato, the atmosphere. I mean, this track has plenty of atmosphere. Yeah. You know, um, but there's so much that's appealing and there's so much that's captivating to me. Yeah. 
Well, and eventually the drums do come in, but I love that mm-hmm. sparse sort of floaty feeling at the beginning when it's just the pizzicato and whatever that. Well, you get the best of both is. worlds. Yeah. Yep. And again, it's a way in this era to get more mileage, you know, to have a, a, a longer form or at least to hold off on bringing in an instrument. I think that should be the barometer for how well these pieces function is if you take away the drums, is it still musically interesting? Because I feel like in a lot of the right. earlier tracks, the drums are kind of plugging a hole <laughs> that was absent in the, the musical quality. Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, good that's point. a good point. Will, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I really, really like this one. I think that um, one of the things that stood out to me right away is this sort of rhythmic pattern of the triple meter thing. That if you think of it like in 12 8, you know, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 1, 2, 1, 2, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 1, 2, 1, 2. It's this great way of making it feel constantly evolving and it's very dancey. It has kind of like. I don't know, a, a Spanish or Eastern European quality to it, which I, again is like perfect for Dracula, kind of like the music of Eastern Europe, but it's also like groovy and funky, which fits with the sort of fusion style of the score. I love that there's a little bit of motivic callback to Simon's theme. Yep. Um, and even u- utilizing the instrument from um, kind of the bridge section of that piece is really cool. Uh, yeah, overall, this is one that I just, I don't have any criticisms of. It's experimental in the best possible way. All of the, the pitch choices are interesting in that it's like you have some moments of dissonance and you have some moments of a very free flowing kind of pan diatonic sound with yeah um what what the different instruments together where it's not necessarily everything isn't locking together in like this chord that chord that chord but it never has that random sound of some of the music that um we were more critical of and it never has that sort of awkward haphazard sound everything here is executed with so much confidence and grace yeah yeah i gotta say uh, the the past three tracks entrance hall chandeliers pillar corridor they really are firing on a different level so let's see if that continues do you think it does travis I hope it does. My memories of this are decades <laughs> old, so we'll find out. Oh, and, and I just wanted to say one more thing about that. There's such an uplift about that track, I think, separate from all the other ones. Like, there's almost a sense of wonder. You know, it's like, it's cool yeah. to have this creepy vibe in the castle, but that one is almost like, wow, like, this is actually really beautiful in, in some ways. And it's like, yeah, it's kind it's of inspiring. It's beautiful and imaginative. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to Treasury Room.
track is really cool. You guys listening to Treasury Room, which had a little bit of a rough start in my opinion, but once it locked <laughs> into the track that it really was wanting to be, it's really good. And Travis was saying that this is maybe the most, in his opinion, catchiest uh, on the score. And I have to agree, it really is, has a weird groove, but a really good groove. Uh, yeah, there was like three different tracks that happened in the span of like 10 seconds, but once it landed on this, man, it hit hit hard. So yeah, the, the quality is, is still going strong. Definitely. One of the uh, best. You know, it's interesting that you talked about kind of having a rough start. This track has sort of two false beginnings, and I actually think they're kind of interesting music. Like, it, it it's in that sort of you know, post-war 20th century concert music, sort of bizarre chromatic vocabulary. Um, but Which, yeah, fun the way fact, it sort of I stops and starts. Yeah, <laughs> well, it starts and stops several times. Funny enough though, isn't that the very same? odd. Like that's the Mario like underground, right? It's like that chromatic atonal weirdness, but like it works in some yeah, context but you just have and a it doesn't in others. Beat under it though, that's right. the thing. <laughs> well, and... I think what's interesting is, you know, the that that's a good example is like that's a piece that's entirely unison. You're not really yeah. having dissonances sounding at the same time. Sure. And they're not in explicit instruments. So it's like that I think that piece has that great mix of ambiguity and the particular notes themselves are all very memorable. We just talk about underground for like ten minutes. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I'm just saying though, I think that's an example of using kind of more um, outside non-tonal less kind of um, diatonic harmony and melody to be really effective yeah guys I gotta say I don't know how you guys are feeling but once this like if I were to cut off the first like 10 seconds and start it where it really it should have started this might actually be my favorite so far I'm really really feeling this track yeah this is a lot of cool progressive stuff well and you know I don't know do you okay so have you guys ever played this game no, I pl- well, okay, yeah, I played, yeah, I played a it. little bit of it on ZSNES, but I did not get very far. Okay, I played it on the Wii Shop, like when it was on the Wii Shop channel, nice back in like 2009 or something. Is that like QVC? <laughs> what is that? Um, yeah, you know, uh, I think the the coolest thing about this level to me, if I'm recalling correctly, is that there's gold everywhere. Like you are just jumping in the literal treasury room, and so Ooh. every time you jump. These like sparkly gold coins shoot out from your There's feet. There's also gold everywhere in the music too, man. <laughs> yeah, I just think it, I don't know, it's exciting and it's visually exciting. It, the music really fits. And this one is, again, it's like, it just feels consistent throughout. Like you're being propelled forward and it's got a momentum that sticks. I mean, except for that opening. Yeah. Well, this is cool. So Travis wanted us to play, to have some representation of some of the remixes. Uh, that this score has and there's i think are there three or four total travis that this i counted score three has. but i might be wrong okay cool well we're playing one today and it is a classic melody it's beginning which made its appearance in the previous castlevania game let's see how they how they remix this on the snes here we go
you guys listening to beginning this one really surprised me um it's not a by the books cover of the nes track uh you know it, it feels very fitting emotionally to the score because it changes all the time and it surprises you and it's weird but i like it i like the extra funk they added to the bass and the drums it's when they cut out it's really surprising this is cool it's so hard because this is what I want the score to sound like. I, know. I love these instruments. I love the added funk. I like the I like the style of this arrangement. I wish the underlying compositions of the rest of the score when were you more hear like that I will say this, Travis. Uh, I when you hear this track, it's it's pretty rough to then like go back to the, the rest of the pieces you know, because there's nothing there's nothing that comes close I mean, to the the kind of the musicality yeah. that, that this piece has. Well, I guess what I would say that jumps out uh, at me from this track is just the level of fun. It, it got clicked up multiple notches on the dial. Like I just feel like the rest of the soundtrack isn't like fun is not how I would describe it. Effective, creepy, right. funky, groovy, but I don't right. know. This one just has it. it links creep and scary with fun in a way that just cannot be matched and i yeah you're right well like you yeah. you go to the rest of the soundtrack and it's like wah, wah. but you know it's its own Here, unique here's thing like, and... the last thing i would say uh and i'm not trying to necessarily argue or defend other castlevania scores over this but i will say that if you go back and listen to some of the previous castlevania scores there are there are moments that are really creepy and and to me feel like they're taking the emotion really seriously and so i do think that there would have been a way to have a little bit of a better balance with this uh however i do i do understand and appreciate that what they were going for was just so fundamentally different for this one sure i i think that part of the issue too is that I think they're better at doing creepiness than they are at doing like groove melody. Because like sometimes even if there's pretty good ideas, it's like, oh, this drum pattern isn't really that satisfying and it doesn't sound accurate to what an actual drummer would play. The bass lines are often really cool. But like we said, some of the arrangements are kind of muddy and not they're not making the SNES sound its best. Right. And I think Um, in this case, you know, Unfortunately, the SNES, it just has a squishier, softer sound. And for this rocking stuff, it's mm-hmm. almost like less is more with the NES yeah. instruments. Like they just have a bite. I mean, especially when that, uh, oh, what's the the chip that added the extra bass? VRC6. VRC6, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, when you have that in, it's just so visceral and crunchy. And you can't rock the same on the SNES, Like, which is weird to say. Yeah. The hardware is like 10 times better uh but yeah yeah but I, it's when it's sample based and you're like pitching and like shifting all the stuff all around it is a little bit farty and that's definitely not a quality that we have on something like the nes or even hell the genesis so i hear you on that all right let's move back to some original castlevania 4 music as we close out our episode here uh this is a very short piece of music followed by an in my opinion one of the strongest uh which is spoiler alert the ending but before we get to the ending let's take take a listen to dracula's death Well, we just died. Uh, or, or someone just... No, Dra- oh, Dracula died. Okay, okay, we're good, we're good, we're good. Um, okay, so talk, Travis, a little bit about the context of this and maybe what it sets up to, because we're about to move to the ending. 
So why did you want to include this today? Dracula's death. Um, because it was just visually really cool. And I think especially as a young kid beating a Castlevania game. I mean, this was probably the only one that I was actually able to beat. I mean, those NES ones are just yeah. freaking impossible. Um, but when you beat Dracula, this... Uh, I don't know, like ray of sunlight pops through his huh. tower and shines right on him and he turns into all these little bats and they uh, die a horrifying, fiery death. Do we have to say spoiler alert for a 1991 game? If you didn't don't know, think so. the point of this game is to kill Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's just, I don't know, it's a cool moment in the piece. It's an interesting cue. Yeah, and I think it also gives that same sort of stately, uh, like dignified... <laughs> kind of death for dracula it's not like a victory yeah. lap it's like oh here's this mournful watch this guy die absolutely will any thoughts on that little cue there dracula's death yeah i again with the sort of less is more approach i like how sparse this is and it's a nice reflective moment again using sort of the organ sounds it evokes religious music a bit but also it's not a pastiche which is it's so cool to ride that line but i like that it like you said it's this sort of funereal somber kind of piece of music which yeah. is very fitting to this sort of you know he's like van helsing he's supposed to be this like servant of god taking down dracula and so there's something about this music that feels like it is done i've put the stake in his heart and he, now he will sleep it has that yeah, sort of it, feeling it definitely to it. feels like the stakes no pun intended are definitely like higher on this score i mean it's like some of the the serious emotions that they get um yeah definitely from what we had in in the previous generation it's pretty cool to hear so we're going to move on to the ending uh which i think is a really good piece of music we'll just give a taste of it today uh we say this a lot but if for some reason you haven't heard the score and you like what you're hearing listen to the the whole thing because there's a lot of cool sections that uh we didn't get to really hear today uh this is the ending from super castlevania 4 
You guys are listening to a taste of the ending, which is a, a good piece of music, solid piece of music. We were talking about this a little bit when this was playing, but this uh, has some moments in, uh, in this melody where, to me, it feels a little too busy, a little too noty, and that does happen from time to time on the score for me. Um, but overall, I mean, I think it's a really well done. It's a beautiful ending theme, and I think after you beat the game, I mean, you put the controller down. This is this is going to wow you. And it's a lot more subtle of an ending theme than we would typically get in the NES. I mean, usually the NES, it's like a dance party when you beat the game. And so this is definitely closer to what you were talking about, Travis, was kind of that regal, stately, slightly mournful, but yet heroic vibe that some of the score has. I love how mature an adult this is. Um, Because even games like, I think, you know, Super Metroid is a game that, tries to ride that line between you know melodic groovy fun but very atmospheric um and my, i think that captures everything a lot better than this soundtrack frankly but one thing if you think about that credits theme you know it's this big kind of orchestral march right which part of it it's like it doesn't really sound like most of the music of the game it's just in that tradition that you need to have a big end credits piece. So I think it's really nice here that Super Castlevania 4 ends with this really subtle touch. It's a sort of delicate piece. And yeah, I agree with you, Carl, that um, if we were to think of this as a melody, like a you know song melody or a tune, it's maybe too noty. But I think the composer was thinking of it more like a development section. Yeah. It's just kind of... It's very florid and mm-hmm. uh, textural, and I think it has a really adult quality. It's not grabbing your attention. It's not catchy. It's subtle. And I think, again, the fact that that happened on the Super Nintendo in 1991 is really impressive because this isn't a soundtrack that's like talking down to you and treating you like a kid. Yeah, it is impressive. Travis, talk a little bit about your memories of when you did beat the game and when you heard this track. Um, yeah, I mean, I think... You know, there's a there's a graphic at the end, like a little cinematic cutscene where Simon's standing at the edge of a cliff and watching the castle disintegrate into nothingness. And he's also right. wearing a really short skirt, which, by the way, we have to I have to say his legs are like equine. They are massive. They are so big. And then he's got these little hooves. <laughs> And he marches with, with such determination. He's I mean, really that's trying. That's how he's able to do, you know, all the things he's able to do in this in this castle. He, he wouldn't have stood a chance with and that. In this game, he can like walk and crouch and he can moonwalk, walk, man. crouch backwards up a staircase and yep. stuff. I mean, total video game aside, but like the fact that we just take for granted that characters can jump 30 feet in the air and usually while, you know, mm-hmm. somersaulting 10 times is just so ridiculous. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> this track is uh, it is quite mature and, and stately, and I think those opening orchestral swells, I mean, to me, they don't require any imagination. They're really gorgeous. They yeah. sound wonderful, and the dynamic range that they're going from just really soft to this like very organic swell, it's quite beautiful. And then, yeah, it gets mm-hmm. too noty, but I mean, I think that opening is, is really effective. Absolutely. And, and again, there's a lot of great material later on uh, the other day when I was listening to it. Um, yeah, again, listen to this whole track for sure. Um, any other shout outs? I know there's some some things we didn't have time for, like uh, um, you had an idea for doing like a map medley. Uh, there's a few different map themes that are really short. Any other tracks that you kind of wanted to give a shout out to or any other things you wanted to mention about about the score of this game, Travis? Not really. I mean, this was really fun for me. And honestly, some of your, well, all of your Halloween episodes have been my favorite episodes to listen to. Uh, I mean, it's it's really an honor to be on again. I mean, I just, I love what you guys do. I I think there are 
quite a few other people who love what you do as well. And um, just keep doing it. This is so much fun. Fun to listen to. Fun to be on the show. I know Carlos has been on like 430 times, but Carlos, this is number two. I'm coming for you, baby. <laughs> He's coming for you. Yeah, no, I mean, Very thanks slowly. so much for coming on. And I'm really glad that we focused on the score that we had no nostalgic attachment to that years past, we probably crapped on it plenty of times. So sorry if we did that. I'm glad we gave it the time of day today. And we definitely appreciated things about it. We had issues with it, um, but it, it's kind of an interesting little time capsule, isn't it? Well, I think it's a flawed, but very pioneering score. And so Agreed. I I want to give it a lot of points for the swings that it's taken. And it's sometimes we, it just through the course of time, we tend to forget um, the, we remember the first thing if it's a success. We don't remember the first thing if it's not a success. And right. sometimes it takes a few experimental failures before you get something that's successful. And I think... You know, you might not have been able to have a soundtrack like Super Metroid without something like Super Castlevania 4. Now, again, that's just conjecture on my part. I don't know <laughs> to what degree different composers were listening to the work of each other. But I do sure. think, you know, just speaking of, you know, historically, this was an incredibly unique score for its time. And I think what they accomplished was really tremendous. And there are pockets of fun music in this there are definitely pockets of really funky enjoyable music and that's what i was concerned with i was like oh man is this episode going to be a slog like it's just going <laughs> to be all atmosphere like creepy stuff but no there's there's some funky stuff there's some goofy stuff it definitely is very eclectic so thanks yeah. for forcing us at gunpoint is what i remember it uh of <laughs> well and travis to do well episode. i remember i remember my bumper getting dented in carl that's all i remember in a <laughs> severe twinge in well my I, neck. I hope i hope that we made it right now well, and lest anyone um, complain or you get any hate mail about this, like, I love this game. I love this soundtrack. The The hat that I just took off was my musicologist hat, and now I put back on my video game nostalgist hat. <laughs> Absolutely, which is a really, really <laughs> weird hat that you have. Um, I don't know why. It's very hat, ill-shaped. But... It's not flattering to the figure. <laughs> so, guys, we're going to play out with a track called Room of Close Associates, which is very ominous and creepy, a perfect way to send you on your way. We hope everyone has a happy Halloween. Uh, whether or not you're going out, dressing up, just handing out candy, or even going trick-or-treating, you know, no judgment, whatever. Just have fun. Be safe. Will, anything else you got at the end? N nothing, unless Travis has something that he would like to plug or promote. Yes. I'm starting a new video game music podcast called the Super Mercado Brother Video Game Music Ooh. Podcast, and everyone come yeah, on over gonna... to my... Pot. I hit unsubscribe on this one. That. <laughs> <laughs> no, just once again, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. You're the best. Happy Halloween, everybody. Thanks for having me on. All right. Enjoy this play out. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Have a great week, everybody. Wahaha. Peace out.